This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 166. And the quote of the day is from Peter Gruber, who said, Truth is a point of view, but authenticity can't be faked. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast, and this is session 166, and so that means there's 165 other episodes you can check out at drummersresource.com, and if you haven't already, be sure to check out the mailing list. You can get a copy of my ebook, Stick Control Variations. It's 11 creative exercises to work through stick control with. I cannot talk today. Stick control, not stip control. And uh, yeah, you can sign up there at drummersresource.com as well. And I'm going to get right into this interview. This interview is with Mark Feldman and Mark and I met through a mutual friend, Daniel Glass, who you probably know who that is. I've had him on the podcast a few times. And Mark and I just hit it off when we met. We have we have a lot of the same philosophies and things when it comes to playing and, and entrepreneurship and things like that. And Mark has a really unique story because he was a drummer for years and then sort of went the corporate route and became worked all the way through the music industry, became the vice president of Columbia Records for uh, the vice president of marketing for Columbia Records, and then decided to get out of that and wanted to go back to performing. And he opened up Bang the Drum School in New York City and just a lot of cool things. I mean, he won the this uh, the modern drummer competition with Neil Pert and all kinds of stuff. So there's there's a lot of there's a lot to this story that I think is really interesting. And we talk about everything from business to performance to, you know, to daily habits and and things like that. So I think you're going to get a lot out of this podcast because I definitely know that I did. And we had it. Mark and I just had a really, really great conversation. I'd love to hear your comments at drummersresource.com forward slash session one six six. And let's get into it with my man, Mark Feldman. Mark, what's happening, my man? How are you today? I'm great. How are you doing, Nick? Fantastic, man. Thanks for doing this. I'm glad we could we could hook this up. As am I. It's uh, I've been wanting to uh, been a fan of the podcast for a while now, so I'm I'm really excited to be here. I appreciate it, man. I was just thinking how we met, and I get Daniel introduced us right. We went to that Keith Carlock gig. Yeah, yeah, yep. That was a while ago. It might have been two years ago, now. dude. I think it was more than that. Maybe three. I think it was three years ago. It was a long time ago. Wow, it doesn't seem that long ago. Yeah, I think it was. Well, maybe it was two winters ago. Yeah. It was it cold. Actually, I know that because Daniel had pink earmuffs on because he lost his. Oh wow! He lost his other ones, and he was like, "I took my wife's earmuffs." He was like, "Don't judge me." <laughs> wow, pink earmuffs! I, I should remember that, but somehow I don't. <laughs> it seems memorable. <laughs> yeah. So as as the listeners know, I always like to get the backstory of my guests, and you and I were getting going down a road of a great conversation, and you were like, "Wait, you're not recording?" So I, I definitely want to get. Back into the conversation that we were, that we were having about, you know, the entrepreneurial side of playing, um, but also sort of your, your history and the things that you've done because you, you've worked in all, all aspects of the business. You were, you know, as a performer, as working in, in the record industry, uh, and all that stuff. So let's just take it back a little bit, just a little backstory on, on who you are and, and sort of what you've done up to this point. Well, I, um, I started playing drums when I was about 13 and I, um, I got the bug. I, I was a, a teenager and I was hearing, uh, I was hearing Zeppelin and Rush and all these like seventies rock things. And I got obsessed with John Bonham and, uh, and Peart and that was the beginning of it. And I just started playing in bands and, uh, I did never I didn't take the traditional route at all. I I never went to music school. I just studied a lot with different people. And um but after I got out of college, I just I had a real job, a so-called real job. I worked at a like an advertising agency. And then I started studying at Drummers Collective, which was like at a really fertile time there when we're talking about let's see, mid-80s. So this is when like Zach Danziger was like a 
a, a teenager like practicing in a room and uh, freaking everybody out with the stuff that he was playing. And, right. Uh, and then like Pete Zeldman was there and, you know, it was when Rob Wallace and Paul Siegel were still there. It was like the early days. It was like it was a pretty cool time to be like in that scene. And for for the people who don't know who Rob is, Rob Wallace, he started uh, DCI. All those old DCI videos are him. Or it's his company, and then he also has uh, Hudson Music as well. Right, right. So uh, I started. I started studying with Rick Considine, who was a, a teacher there. Who eventually he wound up. He was a. He wound up teaching at Berkeley for a while, and he opened me up to all this other stuff. Like I didn't really know about Steve Gadd. I didn't know about jazz, and Gadd was kind of like probably a lot of people got turned on to jazz by Gadd. And I did. And I sort of flipped out when I heard I didn't understand what you could do with technique and what was possible. And that kind of, you know, it kicked me in the ass. It, it turned me over on my side. I didn't know what to make of it. And, and then I just jumped in and, and then I quit that job and I started playing professionally and I was, you know, I was doing all right. I was uh, playing on, on records. I was in a band that was signed to A&M. And, um, and then around that time, I also, I, I entered this modern drummer drum solo contest that was, uh, I, I believe it was the very first drum solo contest they, they ever had. And, um, Neil Peart was the main judge and I was one of the winners. And I, unbelievably, I got a letter from Neil in the mail saying I was one of the winners and I was getting this, um, Slingerland kit that he had played. It's the it's the kit that's on the cover of all the worlds the stage. That's nice. the image, and he played on twenty one twelve with it. And his roadie drove a truck to my house and gave it to me. And that's insane. I know it was insane. And then I was in the magazine, like my picture with the mullet, and uh, and there was a flexi disc. Remember those little plastic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That they came in the in the, uh, in yeah. the magazines. So my solo was so on. hold on hold on we got to pause there because flexi disc a lot of people are like what the hell are they talking about right so in inside of magazines there was like it was a plastic it was a record right but it was like it was really thin and and flimsy and right but you could like pull it out it's like a CD comes with a magazine now you know or, right you know some do and uh but you could take it out and like put it on your record and it was made I guess it was made out of plastic right. Yeah, it was yeah. made out of like a filmy kind of a plastic, yeah. really floppy. Mm -hmm. And um, and so all the guys who were winners, their solos were on there, mine included. It was like two minutes. I sent it in on a cassette. And uh, so I had a little taste of fame and fortune there, which was pretty wild. I've still, it's kind of like a dream to me, like that even that it even happened. Yeah, that's, uh, that is pretty nuts. Yeah, and then. And how old were you at the time? I was 24. Nice. And um, so it was awesome. And uh, I later um, kind of freaked out at, at one point because we're talking about this entrepreneurial and the whole money thing. Even though I was doing well as a professional drummer and I was playing with people and I was getting paid, but it was really hard to make a living. And I, I eventually flipped out and I was like, I got to make money. So like we were talking about before, I wasn't so sure I was willing to like live like a pauper for the rest of my life just so I could play drums. So I went to business school. I, I got an MBA and I got a job at Sony Music and I worked there for 12 years. Uh, and then uh, at about 2006, I freaked out again. I made, <laughs> <laughs> I made lots of money which was great. And um, I can tell you about that job if you want. It was definitely yeah. fun. Yeah, because I, I think that it's important for people to to understand sort of the inside of that business a little bit because it's not, it's not milk and honey like everybody thinks it is. No, it was – I mean, I figured that since I loved music so much and I was a drummer in my heart and soul, that if I had to have a job that was in a big company – and try to pursue like that ladder thing and make money. The only thing I could think of that seemed like it would be fun to me would be working at a record company. So that's 
what I went after. Of course, like when you go to business school, the track they prepare you for um, has nothing to do with anything like that. If you want to work at Procter and Gamble or you want to work in on Wall Street, like they totally have a track for you. But there's no help that you get from the school when you want to work at a record company. So I had to figure that out, out on my own. Right. Um, but you know, it's networking and I had a friend from college and her ex roommate was the general manager of Columbia records. And I got an interview with him and I was ballsy. I told him, he asked me what, where did I see myself in five years? And I was like, I'd like to be sitting in your chair. I'd like to have your job. <laughs> hey, <laughs> man, you, you got to be – you got to have balls, you know? Well, it worked. I mean, I, maybe I was on the edge of being cocky, but, you know, it, it it helps you. And I got the job. And so the next thing you know, I was like – I was working for the number two guy at Columbia Records, like doing strategy. And it was pretty heady. It was, very, nice. it was actually really cool. Um, and I stayed there for like 12 years. I worked, I had a lot of different crazy jobs. I was, um, I actually told the general manager of Columbia records that remember this is like 1993. So I looked like a genius when I told him that we needed to have a website. <laughs> and, and so they go, what? <laughs> yeah. I was like, you know, this internet thing is really exploding. I think that we should, um, have a website. He was like, oh yeah, you're right. You should go get that done. So, and eventually I wound up working more with the artists. I, at the end of my run there, I was a, a VP of marketing at Columbia Records. And, and at one point, I was the head of marketing for Columbia Records' jazz label. Oh, okay. So, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of fun. But the business started to collapse, and it became less fun at that point. Right. And well, and you had mentioned... Um, and I don't know how much, how much you want to divulge of this, but when, when we were out at Steve Smith thing last week, you were talking about how sort of the vibe started to change because of the collapse and because of, you know, the record labels were making less money. So there was sort of like, you know, the things that you had to do that you didn't really think that you wanted to do. Yeah. And I don't mind talking about it at all. Um, basically I think what happened to me there and how things are in the record business now, it's so different because when I was first there, you actually, we would actually sign artists who were not, had no real audience, but people would get signed just because they were good or you thought you could develop them into something. And there was, you know, there was real artist development at that point, which is, you know, what was meant by investing in an artist and creating something. But by the time I, uh, I was getting ready to leave, the business had condensed in a way where the money had decreased enough revenue-wise that a lot of people started getting fired, and the company still wanted to like pump out a lot of product because they needed to get a lot of product out there because it is a hit-or-miss thing. Some stuff's hits and a lot of stuff doesn't and you make up the for the stuff that doesn't by having these hits of course and so many people got fired and i kept getting everybody else's work and i kept you know hanging on to a lot of artists that were my responsibility at, at the end i got in a position where in order to do my job correctly which meant working on the hits like i was working on david gilmore from pink floyd's uh, solo record called On an Island. Mm -hmm. So that was like a big responsibility marketing wise. But because it took up so much time, I had to ignore, for example, like a, a baby band that was a great band. Um, and I won't mention those artist names because those managers would scream at me <laughs> and they'd be like, why aren't you doing anything for my band? And I felt so bad because I'm an artist and that's the, those people's lives. And that was when I found myself in a real moral dilemma where it was like, first of all, I knew I wanted to be a drummer again, full time. And second of all, I couldn't, it, it was hurting me emotionally, morally to do that. So I, 
eventually someone just talked to me in a way I didn't like, and I used that as an excuse to quit. Hmm. And that was it. And then I went and practiced in a room by myself for like three years. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> the, you know, it's interesting because the now, especially with the deals that are, that are going on in, in with the record labels that, uh, this kind of ties into, I was watching this Richard Branson, uh, interview when he was talking about how he sold Virgin Records so that he could finance the airline and everybody thought it was a big mistake and he's like you know and now the record label has collapsed so or now record the record industry has collapsed so i think there's sort of this there's this great leveling of the playing field with the internet and everybody can sort of self publish um but at the same time people are getting into now they're getting into shady deals with like these these 360 deals and all that where like the record label just owns them it's insane the thing is is like the whole leveling of the playing field thing i do believe that's really true in certain ways because i mean i think the truth of the matter is i don't think my business bang the drum school would have gotten the traction that i've gotten if it wasn't for the whole notion of the internet leveling the playing field and being able to self-publish and blog and all those things i think i'm a good example of that being true and i think you are too with your business dude i have a full-time job running um like i'm a i'm a full-time blogger and podcaster right like that just blows my mind right i literally have a job that 10 years ago was not possible. Right. Right. Like it didn't even exist. Yeah. Well, maybe no. not 10 years ago, but you know, 12 years ago, 15 years ago, it yeah. didn't, didn't exist. So let me ask you something. When you decided to do it, um, did you totally know what your strategy was or did you just <laughs> no? like, did you discover on the way? Cause I kind of discovered on the way. Dude, no idea what I was doing. I had no idea. I didn't even think anyone was going to ever listen to it. But you had the faith in the new world and yourself to go and do it anyway. Yeah, but that's, I think that, uh, and this is funny because I feel like the tables are sort of turning where I'm getting interviewed, but, uh, so I don't want to. No, I, I won't I, go there too far. I just, I, I just well, I want to make sure that we, we're talking about you and not me. I don't mind talking about me, but, um, but I think that's true with anything though, right? Like you, if you, you got to have faith in whatever it is, whether it's going to get that job at, at, you know, Columbia Records or whether it is going to go to the, you know, say I'm going to do this as a living and play drums or whether it's in any, any sort of endeavor, you got to have it at least like, was, was I scared? Sure. And like, you're going to be, you're going to be scared of, of failure and all that kind of stuff. But like, if you don't believe it, who the fuck else is going to believe it? I, I totally, you know, so like, I mean, yeah. But the thing is, is like what I've realized now is that, and that Neil Pert, uh, peer contesting is a good example of it. Like I just tried it. I saw this opportunity and I'm like, okay, well, I'm pretty good. I should send this in. I had no idea whether anything would happen and something really amazing happened because of it. And when I started bang the drum school, it was like that too. I knew I knew enough about business and I had this brand and I knew that, um, I could build this company and I, but I didn't really know how to use all the internet tricks yet, but I figured it out. And it's, it, it is uh, knowledge that's out there if you are smart enough to find out how to do it. And it's kind of amazing to me, actually, how many people don't understand any of this shit. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think it's the same. All the listeners can attest to this, that. When they started playing, they didn't know what a paradiddle was, you know? True. They didn't know what, they didn't know the difference between funk and rock and jazz. And all. It's, it's like when they got into drumming, I'm sure that they were just like all of us saying, wow, I didn't know that this, whoa, what's this? I didn't know about this thing. Right. Wait a minute. There's, right. what, there's, what are these, these things are called time signatures. I didn't even know what that was. Right. So I think it's like with anything, man, it's like a learning curve and you, and you learn by doing and you, and you, you can read all the books that you want, but like until you get your hands dirty and really like put your toe in the water and start testing it out. Like I failed, like I still 
fail at this podcast every day. I try different things and some things work, some things don't work. And I think that's with anything. It's like, you know, like you go into the practice room and sometimes you sound great and sometimes you sound like shit, but like you come back the next day and just right. keep hustling. Man. It's, you know, it's, it's a marathon. It's not with anything. It's like if anything worth value, as far as I'm concerned, is right. a marathon, you know? Oh, I agree. Yeah. And I just went out there. I believed that something could happen and I, and I did it and, uh, yeah, it was awesome. And it's true. The, the whole work ethic. Yeah. You figure it out as you go and you know, that whole 10,000 hours thing, or mm-hmm. I'm sure you've thought about that before. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that applies to anything. If you, if you were like, uh, I don't know, starting a, computer company and you learned how to code you'd probably you spend 10,000 hours learning how to code sure or you spend 10,000 hours playing drums or working on your acting or your painting and it's all the same thing but it leads me to think about like the idea of talent versus work and what that means and I kind of think work trumps talent it totally does it absolutely does. And you you had actually mentioned in an email, and I bring this up on the podcast a lot about the Will Smith thing, where he's like, you know, you may be taller than me or better looking than me or, you know, or more talented, but my, I'm going to outwork you any day of the week. And like, right. And he, one of my favorite quotes from him is talent you have naturally and and skill comes from hours and hours and hours of beating on your craft. Right. And like, right. Talent's going to get you so far, and then skills got to kick in. Right. Yeah. You know? Oh, that's funny. I didn't realize that you were hip to that Will Smith stuff, too. Uh, I'm a Philly guy, so I'm like, I grew up listening to, like, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. So, like, uh, uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm, yeah. A Will, I'm a Will Smith fan. Yeah, me too. Getting yeah. jiggy with it. Yeah. <laughs> but he, you know, Will, yeah, he just, he didn't. He's become a really good actor just because he works hard. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, I'm into that. I don't, I sort of don't really believe in talent. I believe, and this is, I, I talked to John Riley about this too, and some lessons that I've taken with him. He doesn't believe, he's, he's the same. He's just like, yeah, there's, there's no mystery. There's no talent. All the talent is you having the ability to focus and, get yourself in that room and and work on the stuff you need to work on effectively in order to get good and you have to like that part of it a lot yeah in order to get there do so, you, so like who do you who do you think is the the greatest basketball player of all time well uh i'm not the best guy to ask about that cuz i'm not this huge sports guy but even from a lay person, non basketball expert, I don't know, could be Michael Jordan. Okay, that's that's I would say I would he say he's arguably the best. So now he had, I'm, I'm sure he had some talent, but if he never practiced and never developed this skill, he would never be Michael Jordan. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that yeah. those guys like just would sh- spend like hours upon hours every day just shooting baskets from different positions. Yep. I mean, he got cut in, in high school, you know, like he wasn't. So I think that a lot of people look at, look at people and they're like, Oh, they're really talented. And it's like, man, they're, they're actually just skilled. Even when you see somebody that like Tony Royster Jr., who at 12, he was like blowing everybody away. Well, he started when he was three. So right. he had already been playing. He, he'd already been playing for nine years. Right. You know what I mean? That's a long time. Like, think about how you grew from 13 to 21. Right. Yeah. And then there's like, lots of stories like that. Like, you know, Tony Williams, there was this whole, I read about him saying somewhere in an interview that, I forget what the age range was, but it was something like, from the time he was like, nine until he was like 16 or 17 he said he didn't really have that much going on right if you think about it that's like you're a kid you're in high school or whatever and he said that he would just practice seven hours a day for that whole period Mm -hmm. and i mean yeah he was talented but he's he dissected every single jazz drummer of greatness up to that time when he started doing that and 
I'm pretty sure I've, I've heard stories where like when he was in his band, like that blue note band in the like late eighties, early nineties, mm-hmm. that there are stories about him just saying, Oh yeah, man, this is Roy Haynes. And then he'd just start playing like Roy Haynes and you'd be like, Oh my God, that sounds exactly like Roy Haynes. And then he'd be like, yeah, Philly Joe Jones. And then he'd play exactly. He could do that with every drummer of note, like, wow. and sound exactly like them. Which means that he had to have transcribed all of them and then memorized their solos. And then the magic part of it is then he went into the room by himself and took all that stuff and made it into something completely new, which is why everyone flipped out when they heard him when he was 17. Hmm. Like, so that's not magic. That's not talent. That's just work. That is work. Yeah. It's amazing. And and I don't know what that thing is. I wish I could bottle that and sell it. What, you know, that work ethic, that, that grit, that grind. Uh, I mean, I have it and pe- I don't know. Maybe it's a, a and I, I wasn't saying that like in a conceited way. Like, no, I know, I know, but I'm totally like a workaholic and I'm, right. I'm okay with admitting that because like, but I, I love it so much and I'm obsessed with it. And people are like, man, how do you stay, how do you stay focused and how do you like, how do you put all this work into things? I'm like, I, I don't know what else to do. I just rather, like, I would just rather work than go out to the bar. Yeah. I'm with you. I mean, I think that the reason why you're like that or anyone who is like that is like that is because of passion. Mm-hmm. So like I've a lot of drummers or artists talk about like, well, and this is a really cool thing that I, I read. You probably heard this Jojo Mayer talking about the three circles of like that were on Bonham's drum head for the, the Zeppelin insignia. Right. And he's like, well, there's the mind. So there's a concept. So you have to have a concept. Mm-hmm. And then there's the body. So you have to have, that means technique. And then there's, your heart, which is the third circle, means that you have to have emotion or passion. And any of those things, the only way everything really works and everything is kicking ass is when you have all three of those things. Mm-hmm. So the passion drives the other stuff. And if you hear someone who plays and has great technique and has a concept, but they have no passion, then, you know, you hear something's missing. So. I think you just have that passion and, and I think all artists and, and good entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship is a real art too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So what do you, let's talk a little bit about your advice because, I mean, you've been in this business for so long. So if I'm 13, 14, 15, 18, and I'm like, man, I'm really, really passionate about playing drums and I want to do this for a living. What's your, what's your advice? Well, I think the first thing is uh, you got to get really good. I think the biggest mistake that people make now in the arts uh, is that they think about all this social media stuff and emailing everyone and there's all like they – some people think that this the internet world trumps the the product the product is the is how good you are so the first thing you have to do is you have to do that get that 10,000 hours idea in your head and you got to do the work and you got to make sure that you i mean to start from a step by step thing if we're talking about a drummer you just got to find yourself a really good teacher like um and get with that person and start learning all the things you need to learn you learn how to read learn how to make a good stroke and how to get the stick to bounce and start working on all this hand technique and doubles and the diddles and you know and and start working on the craft and uh and then hopefully you get good enough that you can start playing in, uh, in bands and stuff. Um, so just the craft, it's all about that. You can't ignore it. Nothing happens if 
I mean, uh, it's hard to say nothing happens if you don't have it because there's exceptions to that. But, you know, you're at a real disadvantage if you don't at least have that. Right. So what did you what did you look for? I, this is sort of a kind of the uh, a, a question that can pertain to drummers. But what did you look for in bands when you were when you were signing them? Because I think that the that sort of that it factor is applicable to drummers or as bands as a whole? Well, um, it, that's an interesting question. I think what we would look for, and I think I experienced this more when I was like um, doing the, I was the head of marketing for the jazz label. Uh, I got more involved in evaluating artists for signing then. And, uh, well, one artist that um, we worked with, believe it or not, was the Bad Plus. So when I was on Columbia, the Bad Plus was one of our artists. And I think they had had an EP or two. And the guy who was the head of A&R took me and um, the head of, of the jazz label. And we went, we went to the Knitting Factory when it was still uh, here in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And we went to see them and there was like hardly anyone there, but they were insanely different from anything else that we had heard. And they were really good. Each musician was really amazing, but the stuff that they were playing and their concept, it was very unique. And anyone who knows the bad plus knows that's true. And they've sort of, you know, there's a lot of imitators now, but um, so I think that's the key besides being good. Um, you've got to be different. And I think that's what, uh, and I don't know if it's the same now in the record business, because that's the, the, the scary thing about the record business. It certainly seems to me like that if you want to get signed by a big label now, being different is risky. If you want to be in a big label now, you just got to, you got to be able to be one of those artists that they think they can explode on, on top 40 radio. So that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about uh, being unique. And I think that's the ticket for real. Like as a, if you're a drummer or a guitar player, you got to have a voice. That's the big thing. It's one thing to practice, but there's another thing to actually practice effectively and grow from your practice time. And Nate over at the 8020drummer.com has figured out scientifically how people like Mark Giuliana and Calvin Rogers practice, which is really, really cool. And as a listener of the podcast, you can head over to the 8020drummer.com forward slash drummers resource. And Nate is going to send you three videos to teach you how to practice effectively and get the most out of your practice time. So check them out. Free videos at the 8020drummer.com forward slash drummers resource. If you're looking to save some money on your next symbol, check out Dream Symbols and Gongs. They have a new recycling program that you can bring in an old crack beat up symbol and trade it in for money off your next purchase of a dream symbol. So you get a dollar for every inch of symbol that you bring in. So if you bring in two 20 inch symbols, you're going to get 40 bucks off of your next dream symbol, which is really cool. Plus they take that metal, they melt it down and then they recycle it to make other instruments out of it, like cortales and crop circles, which is an awesome thing because I, I appreciate the fact that they're recycling all this stuff. Plus it's a great way for you to save some money. So for more info, check out dreamsymbols.com and get yourself a new symbol or gong and save yourself some money all right let's get back into it with mark feldman here we go do you feel like people now as drummers don't have have their own voice i don't know if i'd say that i think i i don't think that at a high level that's true i think it's hard to pinpoint like if you're looking at yourself and going, do I have my own voice? I think it's tricky. I think even if you ask certain people at high levels about that, like you hear people have talked, Gad talks in interviews about that and, and maybe he's just being modest, but I remember him saying things like, 
oh, I don't know. I was just trying to play like the guys who I liked when I was growing up, like Tony and, you know, uh, Blakey. And he names these great jazz drummers. But certainly he's got to know his place in history and how unique he sounds now. But I, I mean, look at there's some really good examples of people who have their own voice in recent years. And the two that I can think of off the top of my head are Keith Carlock and Antonio Sanchez. Those guys, no one sounds like either of those guys. And, and y- you know, talk about having your own voice. That, Man. That's right. Yeah. Espe- like, well, not especially because I think Antonio does as well, but like Keith Carlock, man, the first time I ever heard him play was just like, what, what is that? What is like, he just has this thing, like that whole like dancing on the symbol thing that he, he does. Like, I don't know. It's just insane. Yeah. I think, I do think that, um, I went to a, a clinic that he did and, um, he talked about, it's funny because there's a lot of guys out there who I, I think that, uh, Cliff Amon has his own voice too. Um, mm-hmm. and I've heard both of those guys talk about who they were into when they were like younger and well, Cliff Amon was really into Weckl and uh, Keith was really into Vinny and Weckl too. And at some point, Keith decided he made a very conscious decision. And I think this is really important where he said, okay, if I try, if I keep going down this path, I'm not going to sound, uh, I'm going to sound too much like this kind of way. And he made really specific decisions about Things like I think he decided he wasn't going to play linear, right? If you think about it, he doesn't play linearly, really. Mm-hmm. He decided that um, he was going to have a really different sound. So when you hear him play on his own drums, right, he's got a very specific tuning that's really different from anyone else. So he went for it in a in a very thoughtful way, and and it totally worked. I mean, you know, you gotta, you gotta think it through. It's not, it doesn't just happen. Right. Right. Yeah. It's it's interesting to like, you know, and I've talked to numerous people on the podcast about it. You know, I just talked to Denny Sywell about it, about, you know, just developing your own sound and playing with, with textures and, and playing with, with, you know, trying different things and sort of just investigating it rather than, going online and sort of copying somebody else's style and listen we're all guilty of it like if i i still try to play like steve gad you know what i mean right um but but like you know try just developing your own sound i think is something that that is super super cool and like is this lifelong journey that that anybody can go on and it's sort of finding your voice whether it be drumming or just in life, you know, and as cheesy as that sounds, and I don't mean to get like super esoteric, but like just, just finding your voice and finding, you know, the way that you're supposed to play. Like I tried for years to play like all of these guys, like Jojo Mayer and all, like, I just can't, I can't play like that. Right. Like I'm no. never going to play single strokes at 240 around the kit. Right. It's no, just, I, I, it's just I, not going to happen. Well, I think part of it is, um, it's funny because the whole thought of creating your own voice and you got to understand your limitations. And so it's interesting that you said that about technique. There are certain people and even Keith talks about, he's like, look, I've never been a single stroke guy. He knows Keith recognized that his double strokes were just so killer that he, you know, if you know his playing, you know that he uses that a lot when he plays. So in my investigation of that, um, I've very consciously, I actually, as much as I talk about transcribing and stuff like that, lately I'm not doing that much of it except for like to use on the bang blog and stuff like that for educational purposes. Um, because there's this 
there's this trap that you can get into. If you get good at transcribing, then you can get into this head where like, well, there's never enough. There's always more really cool stuff that you can learn from different people. And there has to be a point where you decide like, well, I learned this, this, this from all these great different drummers. I transcribed this Vinny thing. I, I transcribed this Keith thing. I've transcribed all these Gad things, Philly Joe. And like, these are all names of people that I've transcribed. But at some point I had to say, like, I have to stop doing that. And now I have to take all the things that I like the best from all those places and go into a room and start messing around with it and changing it around and make up my own stuff. And I'm really focused on that now because just like, I think part of it was hearing Keith talk about how he very consciously made decisions about his playing and, you know, and also from working with John Riley, Riley is really big on that. And mm -hmm. I think it's really important. It'll never happen if you don't, that's that, what's that Clark Terry quote, right? Um, I'm not familiar. Uh, oh, it's a really great quote. Uh, imitate, uh, assimilate, innovate. Those are the three words. So if you, we're talking about the innovate part and a lot of people miss that, unfortunately, I think. Hmm. So it's imitate, simulate. Im imitate, assimilate. So you absorb the stuff that you imitated. So you transcribe or whatever, you mm -hmm. figure this guy's stuff out, then you absorb it, and then you twist it around. That's kind of like the three steps. Right, right, right. Yeah, I got it right here. Yeah. Clark Terry's three steps to learning improvisation. Right. Cool. Right. I like so it. That's pretty cool. So yeah. do you do you teach that in your you know, do you is that something that you preach when you teach? Yeah. Preach when you teach? I do preach that when I teach that. <laughs> uh, yeah, because um, when you, you know, there's a lot of people who come to us who uh, are beginners and we, obviously that's not like a beginner thing that you talk about right away. But, but yeah, when people are, are learning in the basics and one of the first things we do when someone has enough skill to just like play a song or whatever is I'll start giving them stuff to steal, like on purpose. Like, mm -hmm. look, here's this great Led Zeppelin transcription. Sometimes I'll, instead of focusing on, oh, you got to learn this note for note, I'll be like, look, let's just steal some things out of it. So I'll say, look, look at this fill, take that, and here's another fill. And there's that beauty of the, um, you know, the efficiency of stealing is why artists do it. Like, mm -hmm. right. You think how much time did this person spend working on this? Well, now I can just take it and no one's mad at you for taking it. It's what, how artists learn. Sure. It's like the stealing that you can do without going to jail. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Valid point. <laughs> yeah. So I preach the stealing of, uh, the legalized stealing and, um, yeah, um, the innovate part, it's fun to work with people who are, um, you know, at a level where we can talk about stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. So what, speaking of teaching, uh, let's talk a little bit about, about bang the drum school. And th I have one question for you about it. Do you guys, is it just in person or do you guys do Skype lessons too? We actually, uh, we don't do Skype and, um, I always, I always felt like the in-person thing, being at a real drum set and being able to like play, uh, and in front of each other and the nuances of it. Now it could just be that I haven't figured out how to use Skype to do that yet, mm -hmm. but, um, it's all right now. What we do is, um, it's in-person private lessons, one-on-one, -on -one, and it's also group lessons. We have this group class for absolute beginners that are five students, a class, and we've been doing that for like six years, and it's been a runaway success. Like, I didn't know that it was going to 
work so well, but there's a lot of people who just never played and they're like, wow, drumming seems really confusing. Like, how do you do that? And this class is geared to like do that. You, you go from drum zero to drum hero in four weeks. Nice. Uh, but the, the digital thing, it's not like it escapes me, but I, I think that, um, the, business idea that makes more sense like skype lessons the reason why i never thought i cared that much about skype lessons is we have enough business at our place that we're kind of getting to capacity anyway on a lesson basis and um like we're sometimes we're hitting like 60 hours of lessons a week at at our place and our place only has two drum rooms right so we're sort of small but mighty so my thinking is, if I'm going to use the internet to uh, have Bang become like more global, then I want to do it in a way where no labor is required, which means, you know, creating a new version of how people learn through videos or um, apps and things like that. Makes sense. So that's my big, that's the big plan for Bang is to, is to go from our New York thing to like a global thing. And I'm actually, I'm, I'm working on that now. That's I like it. Step. Yeah, it's going to be cool. I like it. I like it. So what else do you, you have a, um, you have your band as well too. Yeah, I'm just uh, getting ready to get out there with this band that uh, is called Level 5. It's called Mark Feldman's Level 5. I'm the leader. And um it's a three-song EP called the Sybil EP that's coming out this summer, and it's uh, all the songs are written by Osnoy, and nice. yeah, I was pretty psyched about that. And then I'm playing drums, of course, and Oz is playing guitar. Will Lee is playing bass. Wow. And, yeah, and Adam Klippel, a great keyboard player from New York, is playing keyboard. So. It's kind of like a uh, dream come true is being able to play with with those guys. Yeah, I mean that that's a that's an all-star lineup. It's pretty cool. And uh so the playing is really good and just in terms of the music, well if you know anything about Oz's stuff, I mean that's why I asked him to write for me cuz I that was I was really into the stuff that he was doing in his band anyway. And so who better? I'm, I just hit things. I've, I never really learned to play any other instruments. So uh, I needed to have someone write for me. And then that was, that was my solution to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So it was, it's pretty cool. I'm, I'm excited to get out there and start playing and, and uh, use all my record company tricks for the marketing and stuff. Um, see what happens. I like it. Yeah. It's like Thanks. you 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 got it's almost like you got your masters in uh in in the record industry and then and didn't have to pay and got paid to learn, you know. Yeah. You can use it for your own for your own stuff, which is great. Totally. I mean, the world's changed a lot since then, but Sure. I'm going to use all my bang marketing tricks too. It's, I'm 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 excited about it. I can use all these tricks that I could never use when uh I was in other bands and everyone thought I was insane. Like I had this great idea for uh, uh, one of my bands where I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to make a record called Meat. It was a, <laughs> yeah. it was a heavy band, um, and I wanted to make a record called Meat. And the idea of the cover was so I think you got to shock people sometimes. And I wanted to make a cover where we were all naked, and the clothing that we were wearing was made out of raw, bloody meat. <laughs> didn't lady gaga wore a meat dress to like some event oh yeah she did didn't she, she? she stole your idea i can't believe she did that i'm really <laughs> pissed off at her now i'm gonna call her after this i would i would i yeah. would definitely call her yeah that's not cool <laughs> but now i can do any of my ideas it's the same thing as like you know drummer's resources you can do whatever you want and i can with bang and now with this band that's part of the fun of it is that whatever bizarro marketing ideas I have, or if I want to make instrumental music and people are saying to me, well, how come you have no vocals? It's like, cause I don't want them. <laughs> and right. I like this, this band doesn't need vocals. 
So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm gonna do it's it's really fun to be able to just do whatever you want. Yeah. I agree. Plus I'm so, an only child and I don't share well with others. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the youngest, so I just get everything that I want. Oh, everything comes to you eventually. Right. Yeah, that's what everybody says. Oh, you had it easy because you're the youngest. Yeah. So if people want to connect with you and and learn more about you and interact with you and and all that, where's the best place to do it? Uh, Well, you can go to uh, the Bang the Drum School website, which is uh, bangthedrumschool.com. You can email me there at uh, mark at bangthedrumschool.com. Or my drummer website is um, markfeldman.org, and you can reach me through there. Um, you can find me on Facebook. I'm on there. I'm in all the digital places. Cool. You know? and, I'll, and I'll be sure to – I'll link everything up in the show notes so people can go to uh, drummersresource.com forward slash session 164, and they'll be able to find all the stuff that we talked about, links to uh, your band, links to your website – and a bunch of the quotes and stuff that, that that we talked about as well, because some of that stuff is is super uh, important. So excellent. Oh so yeah, and I'll link all that up. The I forgot the band website is. I know I'm shamelessly plugging. Uh, no man, put it. You know, it'll be on the show notes. But what what is it? It's level5music.com. Level the number five music.com. Cool. Sweet. And also, everybody should keep an eye out because uh, Mark writes great articles on his site, and he's going to start writing some for Drummer's Resource as well, which I'm super excited about. Me too. I'm really excited. I actually started writing one this morning, and I'm going to surprise you with it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Mark, thank you for, for taking the time to chat, man. It was it was great to, to talk again, and uh, looking forward to doing it again soon. Thank you, my friend. It's been my pleasure. I'm excited to have been able to do it. Absolutely, man. I'll talk soon. All right. Talk to you later. All right, brother. All right. Bye. So there you have it, my man, Mark Feldman. For everything that we talk about, you can catch the show notes at drummersresource.com forward slash session 166. Also, there'll be information there about how you can connect with Mark at Bang the Drum School and also on his website as well. If you haven't already, please leave a rating or a review for the podcast. You can do that on iTunes. And until the next podcast, thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for getting the podcast to where it has gotten and it's it's going to get a lot bigger, which I'm excited about. So keep listening, keep drumming. Thanks again. I'll talk to you soon. Peace.